The podcast is back, uh, coming to you from Albany, actually, for the first time in six months. Uh, well, a week-long hiatus back in the hometown. Uh, been watching plenty of basketball, as always, Brad, and uh, we're bringing you a show. So uh, we, we, let's do this thing. I mean, it's been been, a, been an interesting week uh, throughout the sport. Uh, I, I have uh, further drained any optimism about Northwestern basketball. Uh, and so, so, so here we are. We're here to record another podcast. Probably talk less about our teams this week because we have less to say. Not a, not a, not a great week for for our squads. Although Providence did have have one nice win against Creighton. Uh, so, so how are we, Brad? Are we are we surviving here as we uh, we head towards February? Providence needs to go nine and two. If they go eight and three, it's probably a coin flip. Could could still get in, but your fate's not in your hands. And just people just don't get it. And I, I see on not only province message boards, other message boards on Twitter, people just don't have a fundamental understanding of what it takes to make the turn. They're, 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 they're focused on completely the wrong, the wrong things. Uh, the thing that was driving me nuts earlier was, so Providence has one game that's not on the schedule, right? One game that was canceled that hasn't been rescheduled yet. And that's home versus Georgetown. And I, I see all these people saying, oh, when, when are we going to play it? Oh, we got to play it. Like, COVID's going to, you know, knock this game out. And then what, what are we going to do? But that's literally the last game you want to play, right? Because if I'm saying, okay, probably needs to be 13-7 and seven to make the NCAA tournament in a Big East play. If you remove that Georgetown game, they have to be 12 and seven. The the you know the Georgetown game doesn't give you any equity for winning. It can only hurt you for losing. Not playing the game literally won't move you down a single spot. It might actually end up moving you up, right? Uh, there's 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 really really no reason to play it. Do you, and they do you have, have to worry still about a non-conference game in their back pocket that they could use. If if another you know good team that there's no harm in playing them no harm in a loss uh, comes available. The only teams that actually have to worry about like make sure we play every single game in a conference against the bottom even is our good friends over in the big Big Ten. You know like Maryland needs to make sure they play Nebraska because there's just a quantity of losses argument. Well Maryland screwed up majorly by yeah. wasting a. Game there, on a non-D1 team. There are 30,000, you know, mid-majors estimated in the DMV. They couldn't find one to come play them? Even one. if it wasn't for that date, like... Any date. Yeah, random Monday. Like, so so they're, they're 8 and 7 right now because that one win doesn't count. Yes. And the schedule doesn't get any easier. They've, they've, they've pulled off these three incredibly tough wins, but kind of similar to, to Northwest. Western, where you know you're patting yourself on the back for the three and zero start, and you're you're looking down the barrel of 15 straight games as the underdog. Northwestern's lost seven of those now, and, and now Maryland you know might be favored in some of these games, but if they go eight and 12 in the league, it might not be enough. Could be enough because they have so many good wins, but seven and 13 they're out, right? So your 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 margin for error is so slim. Um, Maryland's random three road wins that are arguably the three hardest road wins to get in this conference this year, pure comedy. 
pure comedy. Well, it was what? It was Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Illinois? Yes, that's correct. So, so no Iowa, no no Michigan, no Ohio State. Who all all three are trending upwards. You know, I I I think Ohio State for, for how well they they played without C.J. Walker. You know, was supposed to be one, you know one of their best players, right? He, he was out with an injury. He, he he's back now. Seth Towns has given them very little to nothing. They've they've been playing like ten guys. Real next man up. They're getting great contributions from guys that I, I know I completely wrote off, like Justin Arns, shooting the lights out from three. Um, so Ohio State is one of the most impressive teams. Uh, but, but yeah, Maryland's resume is um, gonna gonna be one one of the craziest. But they they are a a, a ticking time bomb with that quantity of loss. The bubble's gonna be really really fascinating. I'm actually uh, shameless plug here. Uh, working on bracketology for Sports Illustrated, I'll be their you know resident bracket watch guy for the months of January, February, and March. So stay locked into that, and we will have plenty of content on on the way in that front. But Brad, before we get into this in the action of the week, I do want to touch on conference tournaments. I know Matt Norlander tweet written an article about it last week. He also mentioned uh, today that he expects the conversation about it to really heat up in the next week or two. Um, first of all, I think we deserve some credit because we were the first ones really talking about this. You in particular. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was tweeting back and forth with someone today, and I, I mentioned the, like, some of your crazy conference tournament theories, uh, and, and, and he said, yeah, I heard that on, on Norlander's podcast, and I said, cease and desist, sir. This, this is Brad's take. So, so where are we at? Like, so, Did you so, actually tell him that? No, I didn't. Of course not. Oh, come on. I should, I should have, but yeah. I, I, I was too busy to, to worry about it. Regardless, um, you know, we... You know, essentially, here's here's the summer synopsis. Conference tournaments are risky because you could give your team Corona, and then if your team can't play in the NCAA tournament, that would suck. But conference tournaments make money for conferences, and conference tournaments are fun, which was Nate Oaks' argument. So, do we play conference tournaments and get some money and risk the other money? Or do we not play conference tournaments? And, you know, Hope for the best, right? Like, you're, you know, hope that by quarantining students on campus, that they'll be ready to go for the Indianapolis bubble. So, so what, what are your thoughts? Where, where are we at on this discussion? I, I really want to go deep into this. I, I want to hit all the different kind of imaginations here. Now, f- first of all, why could the NCAA just push back a week or, or even a few days and then this, you know, could be a total non-issue the the second thing is i mean how locked are the tv contracts because with with regular season regular season games we've been doing a lot of moving around i know louisville versus clemson just got moved up to wednesday um after i believe boston college uh still in covid pause so for for regular season games i could do all this moving and shifting um i wonder if they could be flexible with the conference tournament stuff again i don't know for, for certain but i think it's gonna be really interesting okay if you are a guaranteed one bid league that plays your conference tournament the week before the high majors right so last week of the regular season for the high majors you should still do your conference tournament um because there's really no risk in being 
quarantined for so long that you wouldn't be able to go to the NCAA tournament. Particularly right. at this point, right? Like, it seems like everyone's just kind of accepted that, like, the NCAA tournament's going to be a little bit more lax in terms of, like, who's getting on the plane, you know? It's like, all right, right when test positive, okay, we'll do contact tracing now. I'm like, okay, so sorry, for, we'll for three weeks, you know? Okay. For a league like the like the MAC, right, like like the Metro, although you guys moved your tournament up. Yeah. Okay. How about so. the Ohio Valley? Yep. Where Belmont's not going to get an at-large, right? Right. So, so no matter how many teams you take, the the conference tournament is going to be worth more money than having an extra week for UT Martin to play Tennessee State, right? So there's really no point in in playing the canceled league games in a compressed schedule. Yes. At, at that point, just have the conference tournament, have it on TV, crown a bid. Where, where, it gets it, where it gets interesting is the, the next tier up of leagues, leagues that could be multiple bid. Something like the Mountain West, where you have a really strong top four. Yes. Can, can you take the top four? Can you just take Colorado State, Utah State, San Diego State, and Boise? Or do you, do you take six? Do you take eight? Um, do you leave out the top of the Mountain West and hope they get at-larges and bring the others to do the Houston? I mean, the options are – the problem is, can you do it easily? I, I think it's going to be too messy. I really do. Like, I just don't – like, I think it's, it's great, like, podcast banter, but I just cannot imagine, like, every league being like, okay, well, we're the American. We're going to protect Houston. Okay, we're the Mountain West. We're going to only bring our best teams. Okay, we're the, you know – you know, It's a bad PR move. Right, right, exactly. And people are going to be pissed off. It's like, oh, they're gaming the system. My, my bottom line is this, and I think – I was kind of coming around to the idea that, like, okay, maybe we should just pull the plug on these conference tournaments. And then I sat there and I said to myself, college athletes still live on campus. Like, there are still lots of college athletes who live in actual dorms. Like, this, the, it's not like all of them are, are in an apartment. So even if you say, okay, you know, we're not going to the conference tournament. So we're done on, you know, March 5th and we're just waiting till the 14th. There's a lot of Sunday. You're still going to practice. So you're not quarantined. So the contact tracing element does not go away. You're still going to practice. So the contact tracing element, if you do have a positive case, will still have be an issue. And you're still going to be on a campus where kids get coronavirus. It's a college. This is what happens. In some ways, you might be better off going to the hotel and avoiding, you know, the corona fest that is your college. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how... how I mean, we, we don't really know. I mean, there, there have been studies that said, you know, okay, the schools have struggled with, you know, keeping COVID in there. You know, some teams have done a great job with it, some haven't. Like, that's the bottom line. I just don't know. Like, I, I think you need a significant marginal benefit and to, to make a move like canceling your conference tournament. I'm not sure we can be 100% confident that's the case. Now, again, is it possible, even likely, that someone's going to test positive the week before the NCAA tournament, the week of the NCAA tournament, going to figure out what to do? Yeah. Is it, you know, are, are people going to be, like, pissed off when inevitably the NCAA, you know, plays a team that had con- had a COVID case in their program, like, four days later? Yeah. Because as we've seen the last several days, like, I don't know, I go, I go on Twitter, you know, when Michigan and Purdue decided to play. You know, Purdue had a kid, test positive, Sasha Svanovich. They, for three days, had no more positive tests. They did daily testing, which they didn't do anyway, and then they added the PCR testing. Everyone kept testing negative. And people were like, I just don't know how you play this game. Like, 
Um, will everyone on the court tested negative today? Like, this isn't that hard, you know? And then today, um, we're recording this on Monday, Iowa State, you know, po- posted like half their team is out with Corona. And, you know, I see someone on Twitter, good, you know, Zach Brasler, who, you know, does a very good job for the New York Post. How, how isn't Iowa State on a pause? A, they were on a pause. Like, B, like, I mean, it's, it's like, like people, people just still have not figured out that, like, like, all the other sports do it for whatever reason. Like, NBA teams have a player test positive, and it's like, all right, you know, let's, let's go. You know, let's play tomorrow. Do our contact tracing. And no one seems to care, except for, like, a few NBA fans who are like, we need to go back in the bubble. This is horrible. You know? So, like, at the end of the day, like, will there be a, a reaction when, like, I don't know, Oklahoma pops positive on Monday and then on Thursday, you know, they they play? Yeah, I'm sure there will be. But at some point, like, I, I personally think you got to play the conference tournaments. I think you, you, you take the risk. And, you know, if it, if it doesn't go well, I guess you, you can contingency plan. That's the other thing that's worth noting. I mean, you go from Monday to Friday at the NCAA tournament without games. So if you theoretically had to, you know, could you push back, you know, if, if Oklahoma could Oklahoma could, you know, could, could like a pod of teams wait until Monday to play instead of Saturday? I don't know. Maybe. I think there's some flexibility there. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I think my bottom line is that I don't see a big enough benefit and the let's cancel conference tournaments is like the same thing as everything else. Like, okay, well, you know, time to change something, you know, things are bad. So we better change something. And I also think the other good thing, and again, college campuses may be an issue. Like I think we will see some increases on, on teams as these students come back and Martin Luther King day was a time when kids come back and you know, we got from Martin Luther. So another, another, another time when kids come back, but we should know, like, the case numbers are now like plummeting in the country. Like we are, we are officially past the peak of the, of the general cases. And I'm hopeful that that will show itself a little bit in, in the college basketball world. So a couple things. First, again, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, can, can the NCA be a little flexible with, with a certain pod or certain portion of the schedule to kind of, accommodate for a pause they're already shifting the days right it was always that thursday friday was was sacred of all day basketball they shifted that to friday saturday why couldn't they just do more shifting to accommodate you know now now we're having the round of 32 on a monday why didn't they just shift it a little bit more to try to create a bigger gap between selection sunday and the tournament i think they just doesn't make any sense I think they just worked backwards from the final four. They were like, this is when Lucas oil will be ready. This is what we're going to do. This is what final, right. I think that you could cut into though, the time between 32 and 16 and right. Could you, the final four. could you, you started like, if, so if you did selection Sunday and then you did, you know, if you started like the first four on like the following Monday, yeah, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, or like Wednesday, Thursday. It's tight. You could do it, and that would give you like at least like over a. We didn't have the weekend, but 
I also I, I just find it funny that like, and to, to put my put a bow on what I've said, like someone's like, oh well, you can't you can't play conference tournament because you have to do negative seven straight days before the bubble. Okay, is it impossible to get a COVID test while in the bubble? No, no, that has nothing to do with it because people are convinced that playing playing basketball is how people get corona. Oh, it's it's amazing, yeah. There's just which, which is no not seen to be the case. Happened. Yeah, there's like no evidence I mean, that they're happening. Even the NBA, um, their whole thesis is that it, you, you you don't get it while playing because you need to be. It, it's like you, you're you're next to the person for 15 minutes, and during the game you're not next to the person you're guarding the same person for more than 15 minutes. That was that, that's like their big their big big theory that they're kind yeah. of basing this well, whole I nonsense think, I don't think people don't quite understand. And again, like, I have no interest in, like, lecturing everyone about viruses. But, like... Okay. But okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll just simply say, you don't get corona, for, like, generally. Like, the, 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 the highest risk getting corona is not like, oh, you walk past the guy at the store. Because you and I have each walked past many people since March that had the coronavirus, we didn't get the coronavirus. Like, that's not how it works. You get it from, like, sustained contact. Like, droplets, you know. You get it from, sometimes like, you don't even get it. You, you you can live with people who are positive and, and uh, you're negative. Right. Like it's, it, it, you know, there's, it, it spreads very quickly. But it's not like, oh, well, we walked past them, so I better, you know, go live in quarantine for, you know, a million days. You know, it's because you, you, you would always be in quarantine. Like, it makes no sense. So... Look, I mean, yeah, it, it's dangerous, it's risky, whatever, but I think I think the conference rooms are worth it. Are you where are you are you in in there with me on it? I'm I'm still conflicted. I think definitely if you're the week before yeah. championship week, you should do it. I'm also wondering, is it better to have the campus site conference tournament like the America East? I believe like the traveling Sun teams, like traveling multiple times. But but you're traveling to different places, right? So in the quarterfinals are taking place at four different ones. Right. So you're not going to infect everyone. So right. right? Well, is it isn't the risk that there's have- an outbreak at at the conference tournament site? Like the Big East is all at Madison Square Garden, and seven teams get it at that one place. Right. When Louisville had the issue at their bubble, where like every team got it, if you recall. Like Prairie View got it, Louisville got it, um, Duquesne got it. Like half the conference got it while the or half the tournament was there and got it at once. So I mean, I think I think I think if you're gonna do it, you have to have really good protocols. Like you need to be, like you need to make sure you're testing hotel staff. I I would almost I mean I would almost ask the hotel staff to stay in the hotel for a week. You can't do that. Why not? They have, like, kids. Pay them. Who? Who's going to watch their kids? The kids are just going to sit in front of the TV for a week? I mean, I don't know. If you, I, I, I don't know how you do it. The, I mean, the, the NCA should hire, hire babysitters for the hotel cook. I think you got to have, like, a Mohegan-type bubble setup. But we'll we're, see what happens. Where the hotel I – mean, the, the hotel workers could definitely leave at Mohegan, right? Yeah, but I think they're getting tested. And like the people who are 
insecurity, like weren't interacting as much with like the outside. Like the, like you had a security guard who escorted you from place to place. I think is in the protocol. And then should we adopt what the NBA is doing with the Corona sniffing dogs and oh, the yeah. handshake police for the fans, baby? I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but it's great. Weston Woj or whoever had a report that the Miami Heat are bringing in Corona-sniffing dogs who They're sniff every fan. Effective. What'd you say? They're ninety-four percent effective. <laughs> That's gonna be embarrassing for the other six percent. The well, dogs like yeah, barking like, like that, crazy, and these people cut the police come out and tackle this family <laughs> to the ground, spray them down with Lysol. <laughs> Oh, dear. We have that, and then we have... So we have corona-sniffing dogs, and then we have the handshake police, where they have a security guard who patrols the court after the game, uh, and I'm guessing before the game, too, and just breaks up handshakes. It's great. It's incredible. I have sent you the video. I don't remember which two players were handshaking. I think it was but, Bam. It was It was Bam and Kyrie. Let's see. And DeAndre Jordan. Playing the video. Yep, it was Bam. And then he, the guy's masked. He comes in. He grabs Bam's shirt and pushes him away and slaps him on the butt. So, so, so that guy, uh, we need him, too, for all the conference tournaments. <laughs> we'll duplicate him, yeah. Clone, clone, clone short, bald man who takes his job way too seriously. Uh, I'm going to retweet it now, too, just for uh, posterity. <laughs> All right, let's get into the action from the week. Um, before we do that, uh, we should remind our great listeners at home that the uh, our support for the CP Central podcast does come from Manscaped. It's the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. That includes Brad and myself. Join the movement for all of your below-the-waist grooming needs. Um, we are big supporters of the product. They have absolutely um, made my grooming life a lot easier, a lot smoother. Uh, I am never going back to not having a Manscaped. They are dedicated to help you level up your full body grooming game thanks to their Perfect Package 3.0, which comes with the lawnmower, the 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer, and tons of liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Uh, it is great for a chest shave thanks to their third generation trimmer, uh, which has a cutting edge ceramic blade. To reduce grooming accidents, thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology, you can adjust the length, get exactly that length you want, and stay on top of it with no effort at all. I do it all the time. Um, also, those great formulations, like I said, the Crop Cleanser Ball Wash to keep your hair and skin feeling healthy and fresh. Uh, you'll find the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, which is fantastic as well. Um, yeah. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower 3.0. Deliver it to your door every three months, and for a limited time, subscribers will get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, which is lovely, and, of course, the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. Uh, so get 20% off and free shipping with the code CBB at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Again, 20% off free shipping with the code CBB at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. So, Brad, big week. Feels like we're really getting into groove. I say it every week, but I mean it really it really does feel like it now. Um, you know, we, we we talked a little bit about the ACC, I think last podcast, and how things were starting to come together. So everything is coming together for that conference at the top of Virginia and with Florida State. It is not coming together, however, for the lads at Clemson. 
So Florida State Clemson. I didn't watch a ton of this game, but Florida State dominates Clemson. I believe led 69-31 at one point. I mean, it was ugly. Clemson is regressing to the mean rapidly, and uh, Florida State is starting to look like a top-10 team. Um, what do you make of the Seminoles, who are really, I think, finding what it takes to win with this, you know, non-true point guard lineup? You know, they're playing Raekwon Evans uh, as like a is an on-ball guard at times. MJ Walker's a little more creating. Obviously, Scotty Barnes, he came off the bench against Clemson, and and you know, I've been impressed by his unselfishness, his willingness to step into you know, a really a good guy role and, and the offense just has, has looked very competent and we were really concerned that about in the preseason. So uh, any thoughts on the Seminoles? Yeah, I, I did not watch the game versus Clemson. I was too busy watching Providence choke away a first half lead to Villanova. Um, but yeah, Florida state makes their big jump, right? Cause they were uh, uninspiring at the start of the year. They you know, losing to central Florida uh, had a, had a few other questionable games. They, they, they're they paused, right? They come back. Barnes is out. They got Raekwon Evans, the senior, starting a point guard. Um, between him, you mentioned Walker, then Raekwon Gray, the starting power forward, who's a you know really good ball handler. He grabs and goes, or grabs a rebound, takes off in transition. Um, that was really, really dynamic um, in Florida State's game against UNC, where you had, like, Dayron Sharp trying to, backpedal and uh, pick up his man in a transition as Raekwon Gray uh, would uh, drive past him for a foul. Um, so you are getting enough ball handling. It seems like the Scotty Barnes guard experiment isn't really working, but it doesn't really matter, right? Because his stock is steady. Uh, basically, on, on, on all the draft write-ups, it's like, yeah, he's not a point guard, but people are really intrigued of him as a playmaking power forward. So, so he's still like going to be a top ten or a top, or a lottery pick. Uh, so everything's good there, right? You're you're getting great play from your kind of veteran your veteran uh, program uh, returners, your uh, program stalwarts, right? With M- MJ Walker's taking a jump. Balsa Kopervitsa's really improved his offensive game. He's taking a jump, and then you have that trademark Florida State depth where you can roll out 10, 11 guys. Guys are um, Thriving in their role. I know Tanner and Gom looked really good against UNC. He can only play a few minutes. Uh, but, but on the broadcast, uh, Leonard Hamilton said they're hoping by the end of the year he can play about 15 to 18 minutes a game and be really impactful as a, as a shot block in the stretch five. So I think that their their high-end talent level with Walker and Gray and Kopravica is strong enough. The depth is always strong. they got a great front court. And with... Uh, Scotty Barnes working back from injury. Um, you know, this is certainly a top 20 team. Right. I mean, I think realistically, the big question for me is, can they keep up the shooting? Right. Like MJ Walker is not, you know, he's shooting 44% right now from three. Like, can he be that elite level shooter? And if he can, I mean, this is going to be a really tough team to guard because, you know, Barnes is making some threes. Um, you know, you obviously have guys like Nate Jack and Wyatt Wilkes off the bench. Uh, Calhoun, the Juco trick kid, has been awesome from three. Evans has been solid. You know, Anthony Polite is shooting 53% from three. You know, is, is there going to be some regression here? I think you'd probably think so. But at the same time, I mean, you have to really like how, how, how together they're playing. Their offense looks really crisp right now. They can hit you on the glass. And just like the 
the ability to have two six eight guys like Gray and Barnes, who are elite level defenders and who can grab and go, is just really tough. And I think Gray in particular has really continued to improve on the offensive end into one of I think one of the more underrated players in the country he was last year. But if you just look at this three game streak, uh, this four game winning streak, you know he had nineteen points. Four rebounds, five assists, three steals against North Carolina. He had 17 points, eight rebounds against Louisville. You know, he and then he only played 11 minutes against Clemson, but he, he had 11 points in those 11 minutes. So he's been a really, really, you know, high level player for this team. And to have, you know, two guys like him and Barnes just make them so, so dangerous. So I like him a lot. I still think Virginia is probably the best team in this conference. You know, with the way that they've played, you know, continue to improve on the offensive end, you know, really toyed with Syracuse today, didn't, didn't really ever, you know, feel the heat. Sam Hauser's really getting it going now from three. Um, Murphy can can stroke it. We talked about them a lot a couple weeks ago. But, you know, this top is, is starting to come into shape. And, you know, Brian, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, are, are you selling off of everything on Clemson? Is this, you know, or is this just, okay, well, they won, you know, close game against Purdue close game against Alabama, you know, you know, we're, we're just kind of playing close games, low scoring games. And finally it caught up to them and they got spanked a couple times. Like the problem is it's been ugly. They lost by 35 to Virginia, they lost by 18 to Georgia tech in a game that really was, was not pretty, you know, they will trail by 22 in that game. Um, and then Georgia against Florida state when they trailed again, 69 to 31, I mean, not good. And two of those, I mean, one of those, I mean, two of those are on the road, but, it is not. It's not been pretty post-COVID pause for the Tigers. Well, yeah. So I, I never bought any Clemson stock. I think the highest I ever had them was in the twenties. You know, some people vaulted them into their top ten. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think this is more a, a regression to their talent level, right? Um, this this was a team that had bubble talent, and they you, know, you mentioned they they won a ton of 50, 50 games early. Uh, it was kind of a perfect storm. And, you know, they have a few wins that will age well, right? They beat Purdue and they beat Alabama. Um, that's that's going to take them to the NCAA tournament, barring a major collapse. Now, they're not this bad, right? They're not lose by 40 to Virginia bad. I think that they'll find their way a little bit and maybe be like a 10 seed or an 11 seed. Um, but I I think this is just a team got got, got a pause at the wrong time, and now they're they're crashing back to earth. You know, they, they were number one in Ken Palm defense. Now they're 22. They're now 51st in Ken Palm. Um, and I think similarly, uh, Virginia Tech is kind of crash, crashing a bit too. This lost to, to Cuse by 18. And then uh, I saw a report today on Twitter that uh, Tyrese Radford is out with a DUI. Got, got a DUI over the weekend and got suspended for it. Um, and he's one of their best players, you know, allows them to go small, you know, really physical guard, incredible rebounding numbers for his size. Uh, and then Cartier Jara opted out. I'm not sure if he's back in yet. Um, but that's a team I think is also going to be slipping to their talent level as well. They're down to 45th in uh, Ken Palm, too. Uh, both, both teams, I think, at this point are going to make the tournament. Uh, maybe they'll make it a little more interesting than some people thought, you know, a month ago or so. But um, c- certainly wouldn't buy any of those two stocks. 
Right. I think it's one of those things, quite frankly, where it's it's it, they're they did so much work in the non-con where, especially as like for Clemson, for instance, neutral against Purdue, aging incredibly, neutral against Alabama, aging incredibly. <laughs> like those two wins alone will move a lot for you. And you have the Florida State home win before uh, before the new year. That's an that's a win that's going to age well. I mean, you're oh, going to yeah. have three potentially top twenty wins on new on, on on home and neutral. I mean, it's going to be hard to hard to have that hurt you. So, I think they'll be fine. They would have to really run off losses here, um, but they could be kind of like the Oklahoma Trey Young team that went like you know really kind of fell off the the map, but stays in the tournament. Obviously, not the talent level, but you know. Where's the next there? I mean that 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 Trey Young team. If you remember, that was basically Trey Young and Brady Manick was good as a freshman and everyone else was subpar. And that was the whole narrative of, you know, oh, Trey Young's freezing everyone out. They had no confidence. They can't play. And then they come back the next year and I think had the same exact NCAA tournament seed the next year. Just basically, you know, running back with all of the supporting cast. And you got guys like Christian James and Richard Odoms on the wing and Christian Doolittle. Uh, at, at a power forward who all emerged. Uh, a Jamani McNeese was a great shot-blocking big man. They, they had a lot of uh, interesting pieces. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, I kind of wanted to touch on Baylor next. I think, like, it's kind of weird in that because Baylor hasn't had – their season has been, like, disrupted enough that we haven't had a reason to talk about Baylor. And they had did have some cupcakes in there, you know, Pine Bluff and Central Arkansas and Alcorn, whatever. But I think I think I think it's time to start talking about how great this group is too. And I think the big thing that I saw from them against Oklahoma State in particular was just this ability to, you know, find another gear. You know, this is a game where Oklahoma State gave their best shot. Obviously, didn't have Cade Cunningham, didn't have a couple other guys, were thin, had to play three guys, 34 or more minutes. Um, at the same time, you know, Oklahoma State really punched in the mouth, and Baylor came out in the second half and just was you know, calm, cool, collected, made shots. Uh, Jared Butler had 15 of his 22 in the second half, and they cruise on the road. Like, this is not, again, this is not the flashiest team on planet Earth. But this team, like, we have not I, – I think I think the conversation about Gonzaga, and then it's just like, oh, well, Baylor's great too. And we haven't talked a lot about why. And I just think it is so impressive to, to look at this team and how they're playing uh, and, and the roster construction and sit there and be like, okay, where are they losing? You know, that road game in, against Texas will be a, you know, an awesome game. But if they don't lose that game, like, where where is the loss coming from? Because they have a lot left at home, and uh, this is this is a Baylor team that you know just continues to be so so steady and you know kind of play kind of get into cruise control at times against good teams like Kansas and Texas Tech. Well, I mean, I, I've I've been pretty steadfast in my belief of the Big Twelve as the best conference. Right, you're gonna have seven top twenty-five caliber teams. I think maybe in my bracket this week, we'll see how it comes out, but definitely seven teams in the top 30 uh, in my ranking. And I think in most people's rankings. So when you're in a league that's strong and you have 
maybe five top 10 teams. Definitely like five top 15 teams, right? Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor, West Virginia, Kansas. You know, people are mad that Kansas is, you know, not free falling after their losses and everything. But this this league is just so good, right? There's so 70% of this league is like really, really good, top 30 good that Baylor could could really lose at any time. Right. Home or away, those those teams are good enough to, to beat Baylor. But the thing is, though, like, we've seen now several times, like, Baylor played Kansas and kind of played with its food. You know, like, they didn't, they didn't have to play an elite level. Texas Tech on the road, I mean, with the exception of one little second-half spurt to get to, I think, a tie game, um, you know, with, with early in the second half or maybe an early, a, a little, a small lead. For, for Texas Tech, if I recall correctly. Like, they kind of played with their food. Like, they cruised in the in the, in the, in the, in the closing stages. They just can make a run. Like, like they, they have this knack for, you know, letting a team hang around and then all of a sudden, like, okay, now we lock in. You don't score for four minutes. We hit two threes. You know, Jared Butler makes a play, and we, we win by 12. You yeah, know, but and, one game, they're not going to turn it on, right? They're going to play with their food until they're they're done for. Yeah. I mean, they have at at Texas, at Oklahoma, at West Virginia, at Kansas. Those are four top, you know, succeed or better in the NCAA tournament. They could easily drop any of those games. Yeah, that's true. They're a very good basketball team. Though. I I am I'm fully in. Um, number three in offense, number one on defense in Ken Palm. Um, they're forcing turnovers at a ridiculous rate. They're dominating the offensive glass. I mean, they're a they're a four factors dream come true. But so. so they're they're a little more under the radar compared to Gonzaga. Yes. Because they were on pause to open the year. When when Gonzaga is playing on national TV on Fox against Kansas and they're you know running these teams out of the gym early, Baylor is flying off to play in Las Vegas on ESPN three after they got kicked out of their tournament. You know. Who's on flip? I think if. I think if Baylor makes it up to Connecticut and is playing Villanova, right, it, uh, on that Friday in, in the championship or Thursday, whenever that was, and they would have torched uh, it. Exactly, they they would have beaten Villanova on national TV, and then people would be potentially a little more serious about this Gonzaga versus Baylor. They're off playing on discount TV. Um, you know, playing nobody, playing Washington and Lafayette, who both stink, right? Lafayette Washington's does not stink, but, yeah. Lafayette might be better than Washington. Well, Washington's pretty good now. They won two, two straight right now that uh, Eric Stevenson's shooting the lights out. Yeah. Louisiana 169 in Ken Palm, 11 and 4 on the year. Yeah, so they stink. 169 in Ken Palm. What's, They're a good mid-major team. They just swept Arkansas State on the weekend. Good for okay, them. and that and URI replaced Baylor in that tournament. URI is 67 in Kempom. Arizona sure. State 72 in Kempom. I'm, so I'm, I'm not. I'm not debating your, your your point. I just like shouting out Bob Bob Marlon, Brock Morris, and the uh, the Asian Cajuns. I'm annoying. Oh. <laughs> Washington one one thirty three. You know who's one spot ahead of them in Kempom? 
I do not. Lorenzo Romar and the Pepperdine, what are they, the Waves? Yeah. It's pretty funny. Good for Romar. May have, uh, may have bought himself another year with the two-game winning streak. But anyway, uh, where to next? I wanted to talk mid-major at-large scenarios. So we've got some interesting stuff brewing. Got the Mountain West, which has a remarkable streak. I think Carrie Miller from Bleacher Report was tweeting about this earlier today. Um, let me see here if I can find the tweet. It was pretty absurd. Uh, so, so in the Mountain West, Boise State, Colorado State, San Diego State, Utah State have gone a collective 25 and 0 against the rest of the Mountain West and have yet to lose a game outside of the net top 100 or Ken Palm top 100. Like, their, their peak, like, do not lose a game to the bottom. But you're sitting there, you're saying, okay, Boise has one win of substance, the road win at BYU, which is an awesome win. And now they're going to have to play this entire gauntlet down the stretch, and they could stack some losses. And for some of the other teams, you're sitting there saying, okay, well, now we're going to have to play some of these teams at the bottom, and it's all, you know, it's all downside. Eventually, you know, Wyoming is going to blitz, you know, San Diego State or Utah State and give you a bat because Wyoming's got enough talent. So, you know, you've got the Mountain West situation, which I think is the best situation for the mid-majors. You've got the A-10, which has been cannibalized like crazy, you know, with, with whether it's Dayton losing to Fordham, Richmond losing to LaSalle, I mean, all the way up to, you know, the VCU, URI, you know, weirdness that happened in Richmond a couple weeks ago. Then you have the Missouri Valley, and the Missouri Valley is in a very interesting spot because you have um, you have Loyola Chicago, who is top thirty in net, you and and twenty first in Ken Palm. You have Drake, who is sixty fourth in Ken Palm, but like twelfth in the net. Drake has not beaten anyone. Loyola Chicago has two quadrant two wins, both in conference games against you know right on the fringes of 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 the top 100 of of the of the of the of the road q2 you know Can, is there room for two valley teams that have gaudy win loss records no great wins amazing metrics and who beat you know maybe split each other on the season so you've got these three massive issues where do you want to start Brad I want to start with the Mountain West because Boise is just incredible I should I should pull up the schedule to see if there was any cancellations or if this was organic. Um, but they have only played the bottom, right? So now with, with the new Mountain West schedule for this year, right, you play two games in the same location um, over three days, and then you you know go to the next one, right, these kind of baseball series. Um, but by chance, and it looks like this is how it was scheduled too, they have only played the bottom, right? So they've played New, New Mexico, who is horrible, right? They're one and nine. San Jose State, we all know they're horrible. Air Force is horrible. Wyoming is probably the best team they played. They've got two two road wins at Wyoming, best best team in conference. Um, and then they got the one off versus Fresno, and you you hope that that second game versus Fresno isn't made up. But so they didn't play any of their at-large competitors, and there's a clear second tier with the Nevada schools, Nevada and uh, in Vegas, uh, ha- haven't played them either. So now, now is where it gets interesting because on Wednesday you have Colorado State, in which I'm 
I'm, I'm calling this a must-watch game. Uh, you know, Colorado State was a team I had, I think, 80th-ish in the preseason. They're 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 better than that. They're like an NIT three or four seed right now. Boise State hasn't played anyone in two months, so this is going to be a great opportunity to see both these teams in action. I watched the first half of Colorado State, Utah State. Uh, I believe that was last Wednesday, maybe, uh, which which was a pretty compelling game. I uh, love love David Roddy for Colorado State. Love that archetype that you know, kind of similar to a, uh, a Raekwon Gray we were talking about too from from Florida State. These kind of oversized, ball handling, versatile guys. Um, Former high school quarterback. How about that? So, so, you so imagine that's, six that's, five two fifty David Roddy coming down, you know, coming coming down the pipe path at you. <laughs> How about seven one wide receiver Willie Collie Stein? True enough. But, but yeah, Ryder by Northwestern. We went to Colorado State because Dave Thorson, who's on staff at Colorado State, is a Minnesota guy. And for those that don't know, this is something that uh, is fascinating to me. Minnesota recruiting, like Minnesota, might as well be Canada or international when it comes to recruiting. It's this weird territory where because there are no mid majors in in Minnesota, there's one Division one school, University of Minnesota where guys just go to places who have guys on staff who recruit Minnesota. So, like, Northern Iowa has a guy on staff who recruits Minnesota. Um, Dave Thorson, who is the head coach at De La Salle, which is one of the high school programs in Minnesota, was on the Drake staff with Nico and then followed Nico Medved to Colorado State, and that's how they got David Roddy. Um I'm trying to think of some other examples. Okay, how about how about Duke? Like, right? I got, they got, I got a kid from Minnesota, uh, Jordan Horn, who when when Abe Wallace last he was on staff, and now Abe is the head coach of McAllister, which is a division school in Minneapolis, division three school in Minneapolis. How about Duke with Hurt and and the Joneses? Yes, so they don't they don't have like a specific Minnesota tie on the like, staff, like a guy who worked in Minnesota, but once they got one, they, yeah, exactly. Uh, you have. Reed Travis goes to Stanford. Uh, Kerwin Walton to UNC. Dawson Garcia to Marquette. You have Stephen Crowell and Ben Carlson to Wisconsin. Yes, exactly. Minnesota is it's like it's like it's like an entire state of Putnam Science Academy. <laughs> that is in the weeds. Most people will not understand that. Next We're next podcast, let's do our, our uh, Putnam Science update. Our uh, Putnam Science alum update. Is Vlad Golden playing how, the game? I doubt it. How, how all all those uh, big men are playing scattered across those uh, schools. But anyway, yeah. So so the Mount West is, is the most interesting. They they aren't going to get four of these teams, and they they might not get two of them. I I, I think I'm odds are that, that 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 will get two. I think that's that's the most likely scenario. But one's not off the table. Four's not off the table. I, I guess if they bring everyone to the conference. And then in theory five could be on the table, but I would I would bet on two. I would bet on Boise State and I would bet on Utah State winning the conference tournament or something again. Um, and then San Diego State and Colorado State just missing. The the thing that really hurts San Diego State is that the Arizona State win is not aging. Like, Who knows how UCLA is going to age too? You know they they haven't been been sharp. Age well enough, you know. Like I'm pretty confident UCLA is a tournament team. I think that they build up enough 
equity, but I don't know if people remember that uh, Chris Smith is done for the year. I, I personally forgot that until I was watching UCLA-Stanford. Um, and that was a tough loss to Stanford uh, because Stanford didn't have their starting one, two, or three. Didn't yep. have Bryce Wills, Dejon Davis, or Zaire Williams. And they beat UCLA on a back cut inbounds. Um, you know, they, they were running out like Michael O'Connell, the freshman point guard, uh, who plays exactly like Colin Gillespie, or like Peyton Pritchard on the Celtics. Um, Jaden Dallaire, who was a reserve, he, he he was bringing the ball up against the press. He had Jones and De Silva. Um, our, oh, and then uh, Noah Tate, they said on the broadcast, he 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 hadn't hit a shot in like five games or something. Um, so so to uh, be able to pull out that win against UCLA was enormous. Right, uh, but, oh, but but with San Diego State, right, like. If you had told me preseason that Arizona State on the road wouldn't be a Q1. Yeah, they cool. Like, I mean, we, we I think we both agreed that Arizona State had a chance to flop. And realistically, I mean, the reason they flopped has been exactly what we expected. Their front court isn't very good, and their guards are all playing for themselves. Right. I had them 26th in, in, in the preseason. There, there's no no cohesion, right? There's no fit. And, and they've had guys miss time. You know, Remy Martin's missed time. Bagley missed time. Right. Um, team. Sean Cherry's missing time now, so. Right, exactly. So, look, I mean, San Diego State, the metrics are still in their favor. The net really likes them. They have some wins. They have the resume that, like, we think of if you're a mid-major as, like, the resume you want, right? Like, good metrics, name brand wins, no bad losses. And that Air Force series that they played this past weekend that they blew the doors off Air Force twice on the road begins a stretch where they have the opposite of New Mexico or, or, or Boise state, excuse me. Boise state had this crazy, crazy schedule. San Diego state had this horrible, horrible, hard start with Colorado state um, to start their conference season, then Nevada, then Utah state as their first three series. And then they had air force and now they have Wyoming, New Mexico, San Jose, Fresno as their next four series. Which you is, said New Mexico, Wyoming, San Jose, Fresno? Wyoming, New Mexico, San Jose, Fresno is their next four. You got to go where you know. There's no way around that. Agree. And they're fortunate that Wyoming is at home. If they had to go to Wyoming, I'd be a little more concerned. They could lose one at Fresno and be okay. It's going to be tight. But if they run those up, then they're safe. Because then at worst case... Even if you got swept at home by Boise, which wouldn't happen, you would be 13-5 and five in the league. And they might have a series to make up somewhere. But they'd be 13-5 and five in the league. They would have a win over UCLA, a win over UC Irvine, a win over Pepperdine, a win over Arizona State, a neutral over St. Mary's. They'd have the Colorado State win, which is good. And then, yeah, I think you'd probably want one Boise game to be safe. But you get one Boise game there, and you're feeling really good. Like, I think the San Diego State path is pretty clear. I mean, they beat Air Force this weekend, and I get Air Force isn't very good. But they beat Air Force this weekend. They led 83-31 to 31 in the first game, and 91-56 to 56 in the other. Yeah, maybe I would amend. Hmm. 
Well, in San Jose, I mean, we're, we're not in San Jose. Utah State's here. We're recording as, as they play. They're, they're currently losing at the half to UNLV. Now, that would be a problem. That would, yeah, that would be Road for UNLV, them. though, could sneak Q2. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm thinking about amending the statement to put San Diego State in. But they're, they're currently almost unanimously on the bubble. And they only have two more chances to gain equity, right, against Boise State. And they're both at home. You gotta almost have to finish nine and one. Yeah, it's life. Life is a mid-major stuff. Speaking of no, no margin for error, should we move over to the valley? Yes, zero margin for error in the valley. We have Loyola and we have Drake as our two contenders. Drake versus Missouri State tomorrow. Is that it? That is happening tomorrow, yes. So, I mean, that's that's the best team that, that a Drake's played this year, coming off a very long COVID pause. Um, so that, I mean, we could see Drake's season go up in smokes tomorrow night. Well, Missouri State's good. I know, but they have nothing of substance. Missouri State's 75th in Kenpom. No, no. Uh, I'm saying Drake has nothing of substance. Not Kenpom. Nah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. No, they need so something. They, right. So if they lose this, they what have to go undefeated and split with Loyola? Or? The question is, can like a 23-3 and Drake with no wins and a good net get in the NCAA tournament? I think no. I think we saw with Illinois State, um, what was that, four years ago or something? They had one bad loss and like and one Northern good Northern Iowa wouldn't have last year, same thing. Yeah. And I, I know you're, you're very partial to Loyola. You want to kind of break down the, uh, the kind of argument for Loyola as, you know, they – they were on pause, too, early in the year, so they're kind of a forgotten team. Like, so, so, so my deal is this. Like, I don't know yet that they're an NCAA tournament team because, just, like, quite frankly, like, they're not going to have the resume you need to go to the NCAA tournament as a, at large. But at the same time, like, like yeah, I'm partial to them because I think they're fun to watch and I've been around their program and, you know, love what Porter does and love their staff and you know, I think they'd be really good. I just think, like, qualitatively, they're an NCAA tournament team. Not like, like, and I, I felt the same exact way three years ago when they made the Final Four. Like, I'm not sure this team is better than the Final Four team, but I think it's close. I really do. Like, I don't, I think the only thing that they miss is they don't have the clutch shot maker that, that, that Clayton Custer was. They don't have that. But I think... In terms of, if you just look at this roster top to bottom, they have the ability to play three point guards on the floor at once in Kennedy, Clemens, and Braden Norris, which they did at some in the Bradley game late. And that is so, so hard to deal with. You know, they, you know, talk about a team that dominates the four factors. I mean, they are, you know, an elite team in terms of their offensive efficiency. They do an incredible job. You know, with, with the offense that they run. 
Um, they're 14th in the country in effective field goal percent for reading. They do not turn the ball over, and they turn you over, even though they're not pressing. You know, they play a, a half-court pack line, and they, they for, turn you over that way. They do not give up offensive rebounds, and they don't foul. Like, they are so well-optimized, and they have experience across the board. They have a great player in Crutwig. Like, just qualitatively to me, just watching them, they are closer to a top 25 team than they are to a non-NCAA tournament team. And, you know, numbers backed up. I mean, Ken Palm now has them at, he kept them at 21 after today's win over, um, over Bradley. They're 10th in country in defense, which is, puts them, I believe, now they are the number one mid-major defense in the country. They've overtaken VCU and Utah State. Um, like, they are just so, so, so steady. And I think, like, look, it's going to be hard, but it will be an interesting test of the metrics. Because if you have a top 30 mid-major team in Ken Palm and they don't get an at-large bid, like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And they got these tests coming up. They have road for two at Missouri State, road for two at Drake. The good thing for them is those are two guaranteed. One is a guaranteed Q1 in Drake, and one is guaranteed Q2 against Missouri State. So if they can get some quadrant, you know, get some quadrant love from that, that will help. But they're just rolling in the Valley, and it's not easy to roll in the Valley. They've won, they'll go through their Valley games. They won by 30 against Illinois State, 31 against Illinois State. They had a random loss to Indiana State. Then they beat Indiana State by 10. They beat Northern Iowa by 15, Northern Iowa by 32, Valpo by 36, Bradley by 13, Bradley by 7. Like, they are blowing teams out. And think about the Valley in terms of what could have been, right, where Northern Iowa was fully healthy and played up to their potential, right? That's a top 75 team at worst. Missouri State and Drake have overachieved based on their preseason expectations to get, you know, potentially an at-large for Drake and Missouri State's top 75. Loyola, and then if it, it – I know in, in the preseason, Bradley was like a top 100 team. I'm, I'm not sure where they're landing now. They're um, 115 in Ken Palm right now. Okay, and then Indiana State was a team who in the preseason, all, all, all the computer metrics had them at the back of the top 100 too. Uh, so that that league really could have been on like another level. Um, kind of un, unfortunate about how things kind of fell. Um, another league, how it's not going great. Um, <laughs> is the A-10. And I think the the easiest way to describe what's, you know, how how the A-10 is going so poorly is LaSalle's 4-4. Four four. <laughs> LaSalle is going out there and just, just knocking teams off, stealing their equity. Yeah. Is LaSalle the highest variance team in the country? I, I don't know, but with... Fordham one and seven with the win over Dayton, and St. Joe's zero oh and seven. Besides that, everyone else is like kind of in the mix. Not 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 for a tournament bid, obviously, but they're in the mix to knock you off. And that's and that's a disaster in the league like the A10. You know, we say it every week, but you need separation between the middle and the bottom in the high major leagues. In the mid major leagues, you need significant separation between the top and the middle and the top and the bottom, right? You, 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 you just can't have these teams stealing equity. 
and the A10, everyone's stealing equity, right? Yes. Except, I mean, except for St. Louis wasn't played. Yes. Everyone else has been, you know, kind of knocked down a peg. LaSalle's four conference losses by 19 at home to UMass, by 16 at UMass, by 33 at George Mason, and by 24 at home against Davidson. They just went on the road and beat Richmond. And they also went on the road and beat Dayton. Did they beat uh, a URI, too? They did not. They beat Fordham, St. Joe's, Dayton, and Richmond. And even a team like Davidson that's sitting up at the top at 6-2, they lost to Charlotte. You know, they they aren't unblemished either, so so they're they're nowhere close, right? You have VCU is still hanging in there on the bubble. Saint Saint Louis hasn't played a game yet. The the Bonnies are are looking okay, but that that's that's a precarious situation. Very precarious because their whole resume is built off a win at Richmond and a home win versus VCU. And with how it's going, both those teams are going to be picked off a few more times. And heading in, in in the wrong direction. Uh, plus, they've only played two non-conference games, and the NCA recommended you play four. And now you don't have to play non-conference, but I think you know, kind of wink, wink, you have to play four non-conference games. So it'll be interesting to see if they don't win the conference tournament, or or, or if there's no conference tournament, and the the Bonnies show up to us selection Sunday with only two non-conference games. Do you feel like the Bonnies? The ideal scenario for the league is that the Bonnies win the A-10 tournament. And St. Louis plays like 15 games and has their wins. Because that's the thing. That's the crazy thing. St. Louis has not played since December 23rd. They're going to play tomorrow against Dayton. So over a month, like 90% of the team got corona. So they're going to come back. And they're going to play Dayton. And they're going to play Richmond back-to-back. That's not the ideal. But, you know... They on the back-to-back days? No, three days. Oh, okay. Sorry. But they've done the work by beating LSU and NC State already. Although both of those are at home. The metrics like them. As long as they do their take care of business, they'll be fine. But NC State is, is sneaky sliding out of the tournament pretty quickly, too. Oh, yeah. They're not in the field. They're not even in my first date app. So, so in, in the preseason, right, we looked at the ACC, and we had, you know, teams like five through eleven or, or, or six through eleven. Like you can put these guys in any order. Half these guys are gonna sneak into the bubble. Half are gonna uh, fall fall the NIT. And I think I had, I think I had Notre Dame at that eleven spot. Um, Notre Dame's lower than that actually. And we got Pitt jumps in, Virginia Tech jumps in. To the potential tournament mix, um, I, I think NC State is a team that's at, at the back of that kind of NCAA NIT hub. I think uh, you know they they have some nice pieces. You know they uh, have a few really good young guards with Cam Hayes and uh, Shaquille Moore. Devin Daniels looks like he made a jump. They have a strong front court, um, but but they're just not winning these uh, 50-50 games, and their uh, margin for error is shrinking considerably. No. Agreed. But yeah, I think the A-10 is a weird spot. Richmond, 
I don't think they're toast. I think they're toast. But they are. I mean, they... They have two bad losses now. Because they, they lost to Hofstra, too. Yes. They, I mean, the combination of Kentucky stinking, Northern Iowa stinking, the loss to LaSalle, the loss to Hofstra, both at home, right? Like, I mean, again, I mean, the, the saving grace is that they have St. Louis coming up twice. They have VCU coming up twice. They have road Dayton. Right, like if you're if you're Richmond now, you want opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah, and and they will have several of them. I mean, even road UMass will be be valuable. So. And then, uh, a VCU is kind of hiding in plain sight a little bit. They did their work early, right? They got Utah State on a neutral, which has aged pretty well. Oh, Memphis on a neutral. It's going to age a little bit. Um. They wish that Penn State came back. That road Penn State would have been nice. Yeah, the road Penn State, you lost to West Virginia on a neutral. That's fine. The home versus URI is not trending in the right direction. That's not going to be a terrible loss. And then they lost at Bonnie's. Um, so so they, they did all the, all their work on the first three days of the season with the, with the Utah State and the Memphis wins. Um, they, they've been kind of treading water since, a little dip with that URI loss. Um and their schedule does not have a ton of opportunities. They have Richmond twice. They have a return game at Rhode Island. They have Davidson twice. St. Louis once. Um, so that's not a that's just just so many minefields in the A10. I I think if I were to bet, I I would bet only St. Louis gets into the A10. Right. It's gonna suck. I'm gonna be so mad. But the Bonnies are like they—they they scream like first four, just like the Jalen Adams Bonnies team, you know. Although that Bonnies team kind of got screwed by being the first four. There, there were a, a couple extra bid thieves that year, if memory serves. But I think it was was that the Bonzi Colson mess year, or was it a different year? That might have been the Bonzi, but 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 that Notre Dame team was the first team out, right? Yeah, but. That whole year was messy with bid bid thieves. Right, that was that that first four right was Bonnie's in Florida and then Syracuse and Arizona State. Yes, which was the greatest game I've ever seen Mark Dolezal play. Is where I fell in love with Mark Dolezal, uh, and a Pascal Chuku was dominating the lane. As an aside, people hate on these like big goofy centers because because the game their their game is aesthetically ugly. Like the like the passes are hitting them in the head and they're like kind of wobbling around everywhere, but they don't get any credit when they're good. Like like Pascal Chuku was like a legit awesome rim protector who made like a significant difference. And everyone's like, oh, he airballed a free throw. He said. <laughs> That's true. That is true. I'll give you that. I forgot which player specifically I was thinking of, but there was someone who. I was watching him play, and like this guy's good. Like, why does everybody hate this guy? Oh, it's because he he looks like he looks incredibly lost. Should we? Uh, other thing on that one. But um, where to next? Should we touch on Alabama again? I think every week we do this, but like the LSU game, I think in particular deserves mentioning because that was like the wake up world. We're here. 
They don't need Quinterly. They don't need Bruner. You know, these guys come in and out of the lineups, and you know, they just keep keep plugging away. <laughs> well, so 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 I think the thing about Bama, I think the thing that makes them really good, and this is one of the reasons why I was buying Natos from the start. You have this incredible combination of with Natos of a coach who coaches toughness and preach it. You know, if you remember at Buffalo, and this happened, they do this still now. Um, Nate Oates had the Buffalo, um, had the Buffalo coaching staff wearing like mechanic shirts and warmups because they're like a tough team. You know, um, he, he, he tells a story all the time about how he would sell like hot Cheetos out of his classroom at Romulus high school. Like he's a grinder. He's a tough, tough dude. And his teams are tough and they play tough and they're willing to get down and dirty on the defensive end. And, you know, hustle for loose balls, attack the rim, etc. And they embrace the analytics. And they don't, you know, they're, they're constantly on the, um, okay, we're going to, you know, we're all threes and laps. Like, I think you, I think this, the, the picture of a spot, ch- of the shot chart for their game against LSU went viral. Like, it was, it was absurd. Um, so you have, you have those two factors. And then you have a third factor of he recruits at a high level. And he recruits guys who fit his system at a high level, right? Like, you know, obviously he's fortunate to inherit a Petty, inherit a Shackelford, but a Bruner was so, so perfect for for that system. A Primo, perfect for what they want to do. If you go back to Buffalo, Massenburg, Harris, Nick Perkins, those guys were perfect. Like, so when you can find, I think, you know, so often, I think Jamie and Christian is a great example of this. Jamie and Christian is a guy who coaches the, oh my gosh, three, three, threes. Like, we're going to shoot a three. It's going to be great, whatever. But he, at the same time, if you look at back at, look at his team, one of the reasons they struggled at GW, like, they're bad at everything else. They don't defend man to man. Well, their zone, when they played zone at Siena, was awful. I mean, it was truly a, a sight for sore eye. I mean, it was, it was, it was brutally, you know, it, it made me want to puke. It's terrible, terrible zone. You know, they don't turn you over. They, you know, before this season, they didn't get to the free throw line. This year, they get to the free throw line mostly because, you know, Bishop is so aggressive and Matt Moyer has been really good around the run as well. But, you know, you don't – and then you have a lot of coaches who coach, you know, super tough, we're going to rebound, you know, you're, you're, you're pounding glass coaches. It's very rare to get a combination of both, and Nate Oates is that guy, and that's why they're rolling, in my opinion. And we'll see. I mean, look, they're going to lose a game. They're going to have a tough go at some point, I'm sure of this. But, like, I'm, I'm still – I'm buying all the Oates stock as it's like a future Michigan State guy or a future Indiana guy, you know, he is an awesome coach. Yeah, I think I've said this the past couple of weeks, but when, when, when Alabama played Providence in uh, Maui, that, that was the January Alabama team that I saw. And I was like, what on earth? Like, you know, just kind of bur- bury your head in your hands as they, you know, just find three-pointer after three-pointer, crushing the zone, you know, all, all these playmakers and, you know, Herb Jones is such a perfect fit with that team at power forward. Um, you know, he, he's just a, a, you know, unbelievably versatile. Um, 
as a playmaker and he's taking a jump scoring. See, Alabama is in cruise control. I'm I'm surprised that a Tennessee's faltering. Uh, I I guess Springer's been out, but I I'd seen that uh, Tennessee team as like a two seed coming into the year and it looked like they were playing like that for the most part. But uh, maybe Missouri is a little better than than I I had been giving them credit for. But uh, really really thought Tennessee was gonna almost run away with the SEC once once Kentucky started slipping. I think we should be careful with like it happens. Like it, it just does. Like teams have these little blur, you know, bumps in the road. Like, I think they'll be okay. I I'm not gonna overreact from Tennessee. But the well, last I think that they're like a four right. seed, but I thought I thought that they were gonna win the SEC by like four games. Yeah. I be- I buy that. I, I bought it too. I mean they were awesome. Start the year, and obviously they had all the recruiting pedigree, all the buzz. Here comes Alabama, like a freaking freight train. What you do know, you want to How about one of the funnier stories of the weekend was uh, a Coach K getting a little snippy. Oh, yes. Yeah. This, was, this was very funny, and, and I'm sure it triggered you, Kevin, as a student journalist. Uh, but it, it's really just it, – it's not the end of the world, people. People are freaking out. It's funny. It was mean. It was mean spirited. Uh, that that kid could have asked him anything, right? He could have asked him, uh, you know, what do you have for breakfast? And Coach K would have the same same reaction. He was just pissed off that you know he just had this loss and now he has to deal with this stupid student journalist. You know, <laughs> not even a real journalist. So uh, so so here's here's my here's my summary on this. Um, as a student journalist, as someone who goes to a school where the number of at a basketball or a football press conference, there are more student journalists than, quote unquote, professional journalists or real journalists, whatever you want to say. So. So, look, look, here's the deal. Coach K is right. But the question is dumb. However. It is not a dumb enough question that Coach K should should need to admonish the kid and you know lecture him on live, you know, live at a press conference. Because, quite frankly, I've heard a lot of dumber questions from the pros. That question gets asked all the time. Where do you go yeah, from here? I mean, What's the, next? Uh, Everyone asks this question. Yeah, the uh, kid's not 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 uh, Plato or anything, but right. it's, it's, it's a perfectly just, reasonable he's question. He's a sophomore at Duke, bro. Like, like, and I saw this, this tweet. I think it was Riggs at Barstool. I don't remember who it was. You know, like the idea, like Coach K. Just like feel, it, it believes like he's so much more intelligent than everyone else that like he he'll just like like whenever he's annoyed he'll just try to like enlighten someone else with his genius you know it's like dude like that no no one wants that like like just tr- like and I think the thing that's frustrating for me about this from Coach K is less so like it, it's just like he wouldn't do that if that was a real journalist or a, a professional journalist and like. It ain't fair to the kid. It ain't fair to all the students out there who bust their butt, right? Because, so, like, for instance, like, I'm a student journalist right now, but I also work for Sports Illustrated now, and I do do press, do, do, do a, you know, I, I, I reported a story today, which was talking to coaches. I should not be treated any differently when SI is next to my name than, you know, WNUR Sports. But I know I am. I know yeah. that if I intro, you know, I'm Kevin Sweeney Sports Illustrated, 
my phone, they're picking up the phone. I know that if I intro, I'm Kevin Sweeney from cbbcentral.com, people could give a shit. And I think it's, you know, I think it's annoying that a coach is just like, I, I think it's annoying that someone like Coach K can't just like answer the question with some cliches like anyone else. It's really not that hard. Where do you go from here? We got to sit down. We got to watch the film. We got to play harder on defense. You know, I think I think our guys are resilient. We're going to go to practice this week, and we're going to, you know, we're going to make this right because this is Duke basketball. We have to be better. Was that so hard? Was that so hard? I mean, like, come on. It's 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 not that that big of a deal. I think Coach K can be mean to the journalists if he wants to. But he, he was being mean. He was being very condescending. Right. It's not uh, a big deal. It's just like a big like, Twitter thing. Like, at the end of the day, like, anyone who wasn't a journalist like, didn't actually care. They just, like, used it as, like, fun to, like, insult Coach K on Twitter. But, like, it didn't, like, impact their day. I mean, it, it, it was a very classic, like, Twitter moment where people, like, like way more mad about it on Twitter than, like, would be in, actually real, in actual life. And, but also, like, and also Twitter is just, like, overwhelmingly populated by journalists. So that's part of it. And, like, no one after these games is is asking something that's truly revelatory like 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 what is someone going to ask that I'm going to be like whoa what an amazing question uh, you know it, right well the problem th- is they're always just just, just, just kind of filled with they're filled with with these filler questions that are meant to tee up a response from the coach and then the the coach is the performer right he it's a vague question, then, and then he he puts his spin on it to uh, make the headline. There's 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 really no question that's gonna garner some so, some sort of crazy noteworthy response. Right, right. No, I mean, and yes, like it is. I mean, a lot of press conferences are dumb. Everyone's there to do a job. Like, bottom line is like any professional journalist who's at a press conference because they have to write a game recap. Is just looking. I mean, ideally they want a really interesting angle, and you do get some things that kind of slip through the cracks, right? Like so, for instance, like Boo Booey said after the pick game, or no, Boo Booey said after the Michigan State game that after the pick game he went to the gym the next day. He took he he, he wouldn't leave until he made a thousand free throws and five hundred threes, and he stayed for four hours. Like that's an interesting thing that I, that I can use to write a story later, but like. The vast majority of answers are dumb. Yes, they're cliches. Oh, you know, we gotta we gotta be better. Oh, you know, I thought we didn't did a poor job with our rebounding today. Oh, I thought our effort was poor. Oh, you know, we're gonna work them in practice. You know, whatever. That's bottom line. The and the thing is, like, Coach K has been around enough to know exactly what he needs to do, and he still just was like, all right, I'm just gonna like mock this kid because I can mock this kid. You know. On on the uh, CBS podcast, the uh, Gary Parish. Uh, New Orleans podcast. They they told a great story, a fantastic story, of an account of. Uh, uh, go go l- listen to their podcast from today, the 25th of January, 2021, for the full story. But it was basically Coach K was mad at the student journalists for them not being supportive enough, and it, it, literally 30 years ago. Um, so he called all the student journalists into the locker room in front of the team and just yelled at them. Um, and then one of the one of the journalists like 
had had a tape recorder and a recorder of him yelling at them. Uh, but that was, that was a very funny story. Very very Coach K, even before he was the basketball legend he was today. Uh, and then we have another, maybe even crazier interaction. I don't know if you saw this, Kevin. I think this came out during the Providence game because I just saw it later on Sunday or on a Sunday morning. Um, but Jerry Stackhouse was in Vanderbilt fan DMs arguing with them about the way that they complained about the team on Twitter. You know, you see that? I did. I, I saw the Goodman thing about getting like tweets like, about blocks. There, there was a fan who, you know, probably, you know, something that I would tweet out after a Providence loss or something like, oh, this team's going downhill, blah, blah, blah. And Stackhouse DM'd him and was like, you're a fake, fake-ass fan. Like, you need to support the team and stop being negative. Which kind of lends credence, I think, to the rumor in the preseason that he was looking to leave for a yeah. NBA job uh, of uh, some sort. So, uh, to, I think the thing yeah. with Stackhouse thing, just to, to touch on it briefly, is it should remind you that any any coach who says they don't read everything is lying. They see it all. They either see it or someone who reports to them sees it and tells them. I was told, you know, I, I had a friend tell me that, you know, they would they would walk into Paul Weir's office in New Mexico or New Mexico State. I don't remember which one. And like see Lobo there, which is their message board, like on his computer. Like, and you like this is what everyone does. They all read shit. They all they're all obsessive about it. The pro, you know, you just would never, you know, you would never expect a coach to literally DM. Like, you gotta have you gotta have a burner. You gotta have you gotta have some lackeys, man. Like, you cannot. You cannot be out here DMing. You you are a former NBA star. You have millions of dollars in your bank account. What do you possibly care that the fake Vanderbilt fans on Twitter are saying? Like, dude, grow up. And, you know, this, this isn't like a Chris Mullen sort of hire. Like, Jerry Stackhouse was considered the best coach in the G League, I think. Uh, I mean, it, it was weird hire for Vanderbilt, and it was obviously me because of Malcolm Turner, who was a disastrous athletic director hire for Vanderbilt. So the story goes: Vanderbilt hired a new AD after the Bryce Drew stuff. After they hired Bryce Drew, they got a new AD, Malcolm Turner, who ran the G League. And Malcolm Turner came to Vanderbilt, was pissed off that there's all these hoops to jump through at Vanderbilt, like. Act like for to get like fundraising and stuff because Vanderbilt has like long-standing issues with its um, with like the ability to fundraise because you know their you know their like jet main campus of the university like doesn't like that athletics kind of does its own show and it's like all mess and so Malcolm Turner like blew through like their slush fund got basically told he needed to leave but not before hiring Jerry Stackhouse which is an outside of the box very outside of the box college basketball coaching hire. A very good basketball coach, but an absolutely out the box, out of outside the box hire, a dumb hire for you know. Given he just, he, I mean, he had been a little bit in grassroots with Jerry Stackhouse Elite, but like wasn't that tied in. 
And honestly, it was dumb for Jerry to take it. Like, it's, a, it's not a good job. He could have gotten potentially an NBA job eventually. At worst, you know, he stayed in the NBA as an assistant and got a better college job than Vanderbilt, you know? So here's here's the exchange. So Jerry Stackhouse. Oh, oh, this is from this is from November. I guess the guy just tweeted about it now. Yeah, so this, this is the third day of the year. He, he tweets he had DMs this, this fan and says your life must be miserable, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and then the, but the this, fan that's says... That's how coaches think. That's how coaches think, for sure, from talking to them. Like, the fans not, are miserable people. Not sure if you noticed last year, but you need more passionate fans, not less. Love what you were trying to build. I think you can appreciate people that like to win. Congrats and good luck next week. And then Sackhouse says, that's bullshit. Real fans support the build and not knee-jerk on every possession. I'd rather you just tell me to kiss your ass rather than at me with all the we backstack bullshit and spend the whole game bemoaning about kids that, that some have never played a college game and others that haven't played a game since March. Like you said, do us all a favor and just wait for baseball, fake-ass fan. <laughs> that's that's a very Vanderbilt thing. Wait for baseball season. I love it. <laughs> so, you know, we're... We were doing a little coaching carousel last week. Should we should we throw out some names for the next Vanderbilt coach uh, potentially? The thing is, you just gotta give him time. Like unless Stack does, just no, no, but does he want time? Is he gonna just bail after this year? Well, where's he going? Like what NBA team? NBA is assistant or something? I feel like the the coach who's DMing the fans like yeah. angry messages on the third day of the year. I feel like he's not long for that job. Yeah, I, and I also think like if you're smart, like if you're if you're stacked, like you got to parachute out before people are like, okay, maybe he just doesn't know how to know what he's doing, right? Like, and again, I don't know stack. I you know wish him the best. I I think you know I think he'll be probably a very good basketball coach, but like he's just working at such a disadvantage, and it's just not an easy place to win. He inherited a dumpster, you know, because of. He's gotten hit with the early departures. I I, I have a hard time. Yeah, I, I I I could see him leaving. And the question is that if you're Vanderbilt, I mean, you just made a football hire. You, can you make a good basketball hire? The problem is if you if you fire Stack or not or, or if Stack leaves on his own accord, what happens to Scotty Pippen? Because you finally found you know you you, you have your building block again. Like like. You you lost you know you lost Aiden Lee early, you lost um, before that you lost Darius Garland after five games. Um, Simi Sholashi too. Yeah, I mean he was not good. Well, he was a freshman, five star. Give him some time. You're you're like an NBA fan. Yeah, he was a top ten recruit, and he averaged single digits. In, in, in the SEC. Look at Matthew Hurt this year. No, but NBA fans... Matthew Hurt averaged 10 a game at Duke as a freshman. And now he's killing it. Um, but NBA fans, even like the, the smart ones, like like the analysts, they're so unbelievably reactionary, it drives me crazy. It's like every year, it's like, Chris Dunn was so bad as a freshman, as a rookie, I don't think he's going to make it in the NBA second year. You know what? Chris Dunn's surprising. I think he's going to stick in the NBA. 
Colin Sexton had the worst rookie year of all time. I don't think he's going to stick in the NBA second year. You know what? Colin Sexton is actually pretty good. I think he'll stick in the NBA. And now they're doing it with uh, uh, a DeAndre Hunter, too, who in the preseason, you know, all, all the NBA podcasts I trust were saying he was going to be boxed out of the rotation. Uh, and he had 30 points last night. He started, like, every game. So Vanderbilt names. If you were, if you, if stack were to parachute, <sighs> mm. oh, and first in city solo shoot two. Hold on, uh, uh, a, a semi solo shoot two averaged eleven points a game and seven rebounds as a freshman for Vanderbilt. What do you average in SEC play? Right, let's go to by the end, per game. game. Like twenty-five minutes. Nine point one and six point three. Mr. Ryan, those are Ryan Young numbers, Brad. Those are Ryan Young numbers. As a freshman, I I bet if he came back, he would have been like 16 and 10. Sure. So Vanderbilt names. Um, Casey Alexander, Belmont in the city of Nashville already. Won at Lipscomb, winning at Belmont. You know, would would that happen? I suppose it's possible, you know. Um I doubt Richie McKay is going anywhere. Richie McKay, maybe. Matt McMahon, not a good year for it. Um, A.W. Hamilton couldn't recruit the way he'd need to recruit, so no. Um, you could go Duke assistant. You know, you could go Shire, the way that the Northwestern went Collins. That, that's a successful strategy in the past. But, you know, high Western Marquette and Pitt. Not the greatest showing so far. Well, here, well, here was a great one. I gotta see if I can find it because uh, it, it, this, this was a, this was a statistic, and I understand that it's not fair because the conference has gotten better. But at the same time, at Northwestern, winning percentages: Bill Carmody, forty-seven point eight percent winning percentage. Chris Collins, 47.5. Big 10, Chris Collins, 32.9. Bill Carmody, 31.8. And, 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 and Chris Collins inherited from a team that was not like, let me pull it up here. So the final year of the Bill Carmody era was a 13 and 19. Four and 14 in the Big 10. The Final year of the Kevin O'Neill era before Bill Carmody was a five and twenty-five. One could easily argue that, that Bill Carmody has outpaced Chris Collins at Northwestern with the exception of the NCAA tournament team. Well, you guys are in great shape. So what? You you're, you're a three and seven. You got to get. Six and six and four, you guys can do it. Six they, and four the rest of the way. I really don't think they can. I don't either. Um, yeah, scrolling through some mid-major South teams. Pat Kelsey probably no, given the, the UMass shenanigans. I don't think anyone should touch it. The recruiting too. I mean, they don't recruit like they, they. They. I mean, would you would would you be able to recruit the transfers? 
I mean, they've gotten a bunch of transfers, right? They got yeah, Melora Brown, DJ Harvey. Uh, DJ Harvey came from Notre Dame, and Quentin Melora Brown came from Bryce. There, they're both strong academic schools. Did do they have any other transfers in recent memory? I don't think so. At least not not on the top of my head. Is, yeah, uh, what other names would you could you go with? Um, does uh, Radford have the same coach? Mike Jones, yeah. Mike I mean, Jones? He was he was in the mix at James Madison. Madison. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd shoot that low. How about Earl Grant? Yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. Generally, second black guy in a row doesn't happen, but they have a black AD, so that might help. Um, How about Rick Stansberry? No way. Couldn't recruit. Go all in. <laughs> Could not recruit that way. Um. Yeah, I mean it's just so, such a tough spot. It really is. I mean, could you go like an eight? Could you could you hire from the A10? Like Travis, Travis Ford. Ford. I mean, same issue with the recruiting. How about Grant McCasland? Issue with the recruiting. JUCO. How about Andy Maybe Kennedy? Huh? Andy Kennedy. Honestly, not bad. Again, another guy who recruits Juco. That's our best name so far. Because he, he had to work with a lot of restrictions at Ole Miss in terms of, you know, people not wanting to go there and the, you know, basketball program wasn't super strong. Um, so a different set of challenges, but uh, he, he's off to a good start at UAB. Yes. I think, no, that would be a fun, I, that'd be a good hire. That would be like... That, that that would be solid. Yeah, I, w- I would be with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Vandy's in a weird spot. Anything else on this this podcast, Brad? I think I think we've we've hit it. This has been more scattered than usual, but I think our brains are more scattered than usual in the college basketball world. Yep, I ha- have another year where I have to check the bubble every day. Got to root against random teams. Oh, open up a spot for Providence. Gotta go nine and two the rest of the way to be safe. Fun. Fun, fun, fun. All right, folks. Root for the Friars, root for the Saints. I don't even care if you're for Northwestern. See you all next week.